And I have an introduction to make. Uh, uh, when you're the pastor, you get to do these things. Uh, uh, Jason, don't leave yet. I have, a, I have an introduction to make. There should be a Wyatt in there somewhere. There, okay. I believe this is the first Wyatt's been here, okay. And um, he's about a month old. Oh, two months. Oh, wow. Okay, time flies. Anyway, if you don't know the McCrays, this is Jason and Jude. Uh, the little one that's running around there is uh, Quinn. And the one that's in the bassinet, whatever that thing is, that's not a bassinet. What do you call that? Car carrier, whatever. Uh, that is Wyatt. He's two months old. And uh, we congratulate you publicly. Also, this is uh, one of those uh, annual times of church exchange. We have people from New York that haven't been here for a while. And North, South or North Carolina? North Carolina? North Carolina, yes. So anyway, uh, we have more preachers in here than you can shake a stick at at the moment. Uh, half of them are uh, from the Federhoff family. But uh, we've had a lot of people, even in the early service, we had a number of people that were visiting. And it's just really good to see that families can interchange and, and we get the fellowship with others and they get the fellowship with us. That's our privilege to do as, as Christians that it uh, doesn't matter where we live or what the name of the church is. When we're in Christ, we can fellowship. This morning, I'm going to end the, well, we're, we're in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've looked at Christian liberty now for five sermons. I'm going to do one more. And this is not from 1 Corinthians. It's actually from Romans chapter 14. If we neglect Romans chapter 14 in this situation, I believe that we'll kind of leave off uh, a couple of points that we need to make that I have not emphasized at this point. I've entitled the sermon, When in Rome. Now, I know we use that term, when in Rome, act do as the Romans do. That is not what I'm telling you. In fact, as I'm going to tell you, don't do what the Roman Christians were doing. It's pretty obvious from this chapter that they were a very judgmental crew uh, in that church. Because the Apostle Paul emphasizes very clearly and by command, do not judge. Oh, and by the way, thou shalt accept one another. The point is that we can have very strong convictions, we can have very strong ideas and opinions, but the one thing that should never be true of Christian liberty is that it becomes a test of fellowship. Now, I don't know if you know what a test of fellowship is, but a test of fellowship would be, do you believe that only by trusting Christ as your Savior, you're a Christian? That's a test of fellowship. Do you believe Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe by, that salvation is by grace through faith alone? Those are bottom line doctrinal issues. They are indeed a test of fellowship. Because some of those things absolutely make, if you don't believe that trusting Christ alone for salvation is true, you're not a believer. You're not a brother or a sister. On the other hand, in the area of Christian liberty, it makes it very clear. If you break fellowship, you don't talk with someone, you don't rub shoulders with them, you're not friendly toward them, you don't fellowship with them, then you have, because of an area of Christian liberty. By the way, you may... 
vehemently disagree with their conviction and what they do. It's really possible. I'll bet you I could get a fight started in here in less than 30 seconds if I wanted to. By the way, I know what it says. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if I did that, I would be wrong. I'm not doing that. Just this. As we look at this, it is a matter of there are going to be varying opinions. We do not make that a test of fellowship. We do not make that the 800-pound gorilla in the room. If you do that, you've misunderstood what Christian liberty is about. And then we'll go on to talk about that if I'm going to live in Christian liberty, I need to live by faith and I have to answer for every single thing that I do. And by the way, you don't answer to me about this one. And I don't answer to you. But we all answer to the one who is our Lord and Savior. So with that as a background, uh, for the next uh, 35 minutes, let's look at Romans chapter 14. We're going to cover all 23 verses, so I'll be doing rapidly. We've looked at a few of them in the past, so we're not going to go over them again. But we do need to look at this uh, in this. The, the first point is this. We need acceptance without judgment. I'm not making that up. If you don't see that in here, reread it because that's what it says. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. The apostle Paul is not mixing words and he's not stuttering. He just starts out by saying, I'm commanding you to accept each other. And I'm commanding you that you need to accept the weak person. And you don't accept that weak person because, well, I'll be nice to them. I'll accept them. And by the way, that simply means when it says to accept them, it means to take them along with you. I'm not going to take them along because I'm, you know, I don't like their opinion about this area of Christian liberty. But I'm going to change their view. I'm not saying I've changed my view on a lot of things over the years when it comes to Christian liberty. And I probably will continue to. Point is, I don't do that so that I can get in good with them and then I'll try to change their their mind. That's not what this is about. I'm not saying you shouldn't change your mind. I'm just saying that's not my purpose. That is not your purpose. And he makes it very emphatic that... Anything that we quarrel about the area of Christian liberty, that's not God's will. It's not a test of fellowship. And then he goes, because every one of us is at a different spiritual level. We are somewhere, we have somewhat differing backgrounds that make a huge difference in how we see things. So we need to stop judging each other. I just have a couple of examples. And I don't know if this first one is true. I don't know who I got it from. I don't remember anymore. But the story goes like this. In Germany, they had invited some ladies from the United States to come over and fellowship at some kind of ladies meeting. And the ladies in Germany were really upset. In fact is, they were crying because the ladies, the Christian ladies from the United States came to Germany and they were wearing makeup. 
And as they cried, their tears ran down their cheeks and dropped into their glass of beer. You're supposed to laugh. The point is, we had a professor at, at, at Word of Life. Back then, Word of Life had a statement in their doctrinal statement that said, alcohol is sin. doesn't say drunkenness is sin or anything like that, or anything that controls you or masters you is sin. That's a biblical principle. just said alcohol is sin, which means you better never take NyQuil, for example, or a cough syrup that had alcohol, because you've just sinned. He was... His name was Ernst Meyer. You don't get any more German than that. And uh, he was our systematic theology teacher. I think the story that I told came from him, but I I don't know. But the point is, he lasted at Word of Life one year because he signed on and he said, you know what? That is not a biblical statement. I cannot stand for that statement. I don't even know if the guy drank. That's not the point. The point is that... That was taking something that's an area of of Christian liberty and making it a test of fellowship. I looked at, by the way, they have dropped that since that. But the point that we're making is this. From Germany, they would think nothing of that. Here we would look at other things, and you know what? It's all different. For example, Faye and I spent nine months in Brazil... Uh, about three and a half months of that we spent in Sao Paulo. And one of the first things they told Faye and I when we got off the plane, they said, here's what we need to tell you. Here, Christian women don't wear pants. There must be some... I, I never did figure out what it was, but there was some connotation, I guess, that went with that. And by the way, if you know anything about Brazil, they're anything less than conservative. So I, I don't know where that came from. And the second thing is, you don't play dominoes. Yeah, you, we all play dominoes somewhere in our life. What I found out about that one is that in Brazil, dominoes was a big gambling game. They didn't say... Don't gamble, which I believe would be a problem um, and not an area of Christian liberty, but they just don't play dominoes. I never played dominoes. But here's the thing. Everywhere you go in Brazil, you cannot go to a restaurant after church to have your Sunday meal in a restaurant that doesn't serve alcohol. You couldn't go in a grocery store that didn't serve alcohol. You couldn't do that. Different culture. The point is, you need to accommodate. Remember, it's situational awareness. If something's going to offend, I leave it out. But every background is different. Every spiritual level of maturity is different. And all of us need to take all of those things into account. Their issue, it seems, in Rome was not meat offered to idols as it was in Corinth. But it was something somewhat different. Look at verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things. But one who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, this is not a sermon about what your diet is. By the way, I believe you should uh, eat a healthy diet, and you that don't eat any vegetables probably wouldn't be a bad idea to eat a few things that are greenish in color. You know, it probably wouldn't hurt you any. But that's not what this is about. This is not about a healthy diet. 
Because there are those that teach, if you eat meat, it dulls you spiritually. I'm teaching in my Sunday school class. Uh, we're, we're talking about the Seventh-day Adventists, and that's one of the things they teach. That if you really want to be spiritual, you're going to be a vegetarian. I don't know that that's, this simply says, this person believes whatever. It doesn't tell us. It's, it says it's the weak person. They were afraid to deal with what if. Maybe it was meat offered to idols. I don't know. It doesn't tell us in this case. But he says, that's the weak person. That person um, had made a choice to do that. So here's got two. One says, I'll eat whatever. I, I tell people I'm on a seafood diet. If I see it on my plate and it's not moving, I'll eat it. That's, and that's always been my view of food. Uh, and th- that's what I do. You want to curtail your diet? Feel free. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But don't expect that I'm going to do that. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. In fact is, verse 3 goes on to say this. The one who eats is not to regard, regard with contempt the one who does not eat. This is the one that would be considered the stronger Christian. You are not to look down on, despise the person who says... You know what? My conscience won't let me do that. You don't look down on them as somebody less than. You've now made it a test of fellowship to some extent. A minimum. A little bit. And it's an imperative here. It's a command. Don't regard them with contempt. But then it goes to the other one who says, I'm just only eating vegetables. Don't judge the one who eats everything. Don't you know, bring a judgment against them. Don't try to tell them that they're wrong either. Don't decide against them. Don't call into question their Christian liberty. This is not an easy subject. I've told you that over and over again, and I'll probably say it another time or two. But we're not to be judging or regarding each other with contempt. That is not what we're supposed to do. That is totally wrong. Why? Look at the end of verse 3. For God has accepted him. Same word we saw in the first verse. That acceptance, that I'm taking them along. God says, I'm taking this person along. And the way this is written in Greek says, it has nothing to do with whether you eat or don't eat. Whether you drink or don't eat. Whether you play uh, dominoes or don't play dominoes. It had nothing to do with that. God by himself said, I've accepted him. Here's the challenge to us. If God accepted that person, then I have no right to not accept that person. If you, want, if, if you think I'm being really, really rigid on this, go look at it for yourself. Look it up in Greek. Look at the words. Look at everything up. It is absolutely ironclad that this is the way we're to look at this whole thing. Verse 4 goes on to say, Who are you to judge the servant of another? There are people that would say, well, Paul, you're a servant of Garden Chapel. Or we could look at, uh, well, Andre's not in youth group, or Joe or Brad or somebody. Well, they're serving the youth and all those kinds of things. We can do that. But here's what the bottom line is. I, I am ultimately the servant of Christ. Ultimately. So are you doesn't matter what your position is 
or how long you've been a Christian, or what your scruples are, what your conscience is, what your convictions are. We all answer as a servant. This is the word for a domestic servant. I answer to the one that employs me. And that ultimately is Christ. How does it say it? To his own master he stands or falls. I have a job. You know what? I answer ultimately to Christ. That's the one that matters. I care what you think. I absolutely do. But ultimately, I have to answer to God. Guess what? So do you. It's the way it is. And he says, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. In this case, it is God who is the one that says, I am the one that gives him the ability to stand. And yes, and I will do it. It's not up to me to decide someone else's liberty. The second point this morning is that we have conviction, but we also have accountability. Verse 5 says, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced, fully persuaded of what he will or won't do. What he will accept or not accept. But it doesn't have to do with what I believe you should do. That's the difference. In this case, it's talking about the day. Verse 6. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks. And he who does eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. There are two concepts that we're going to look at. If I am going to do something in the area of Christian liberty, I need to do it by faith. I'll catch that one later. But right now it's like, if I cannot do something, and after I have done it, or not done it, I cannot thank God, be grateful and worship God, I shouldn't have not done it. Whatever I decide to do, I need to be able to, when it's over, say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to do that. If you can't do that, next time you better leave it out. Or if it's something you should have done and didn't do it, you better put it in. Because the end result is God is to be thanked, glorified, for what we, in what we do. Anything other than that. One of the things you go, what's this whole thing about one day above another and one? We don't know exactly. Because it just simply says one day. We do have a clue from Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. Where there it says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Or in respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath day. Things which are mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You're going to notice we answer to God. He's the master. He's and in this case, it says this whole thing about, you know, is, should I celebrate this day or should I celebrate this day? We come on a Sunday morning because it makes some sense because it's the first day of the week we celebrate the resurrection. 
But let's just assume, and there are many churches like this, where they two different congregations or even more meet in the same building, and one of, only one of them can meet Sunday morning. So they have Saturday night or Friday night or Sunday evening or whatever else it is. You know what? They're not worshiping any more or any less than anyone else. It's convenient, and I'm, as, far, as far as I'm concerned, if we can do it, I'm going to meet on Sunday morning. But you know what? There's nothing there that's twisting my arm that says if you met, met some other time that, that, that it's wrong. He said, that's not the kind of thing you need to be concerned about when it comes to Christian liberty. I already mentioned, and I'll come back to this, is if I cannot give thanks after it's over, I shouldn't do it. If I cannot ask God, and this is acting by faith, if I cannot ask God to help me do it, I shouldn't do it in the first place. Or I should do it in the first place. All depends which direction it goes. So ultimately, it always comes back as I answer to God. I'm accountable to Him. First, God, I'm planning to do this or not planning to do this. Lord, help me. If you cannot do that and ask God to give you the grace, the strength, the wisdom to do it, don't do it. If you know that when you're done, you're not going to be able to thank God for allowing you to do it, taking you through it, don't do it. That gives us that accountability between that. doesn't tell us exactly what to do because this whole thing is a matter of living by faith, step by step, moment by moment, thought by thought. We've looked at a lot of principles so far. This just kind of caps everything together. But notice the next several verses. And this really, it almost looks like you're going around in circles. But think it through as I read it. Starting in verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself. And not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Remember I've said it's not about you way too many times already. This just confirms that one more time. I live or I die. Here's how I would put it. Is this worth living for? Is this worth dying for? That's the bottom line when it comes to Christian liberty. So you don't take this as, well, this is some kind of secondary issue. It really doesn't matter. It is, am I living for the Lord? Am I willing to live for the Lord in this? Am I willing to die for the Lord in this? That's pretty serious business, I would think. I believe it is. I believe that you need to see it that way also. And because he gives us the example of Christ. One more time. Always brings us back to Christ. Always brings us back to Christ. To this end, Christ died and lived again. He is the one that set the example for all of us. Verse 10 goes on. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or... You again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? No matter who you are, no matter if you say, well, I don't think they should be able to do that because my conscience says not to, I shouldn't judge that person. Or the other person says, hey, we're all in Christ and we all have everything. 
you must be less than me because you don't do that. He says, don't do it. Just plain old don't do it. Because this judging thing comes out strong. That's why I knew I had to end this series of sermons by using this. Because that one issue is not dealt with by Paul to the Corinthian Christians. But it is here. Notice the end of that. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Just a side note there. Some versions of scripture say the judgment seat of Christ. Others say the judgment seat of God. It's irrelevant. Probably is referring to the judgment seat of Christ, which you will find in 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We need to give an answer for the deeds done in the body, and this is my own translation, whether they were worthwhile or worthless. In other words, as a Christian, did I use my life, my body, my actions, my whatever it is, for worthwhile purposes or worthless purposes? I have to give an answer. I think here it makes sense, either one makes sense, but here it's a a generic way. It's like, you have to answer to God. We have to answer for God. We have to answer for God what we've done with Christ. That's heaven or hell. That's salvation or, or going not being saved. But we also have to answer to God for what we do in the areas of Christian liberty. I'm not your judge. You're not my judge. That's the bottom line. But I have to answer to Christ. And if, if I'm answering to Christ, the standard is way higher ultimately higher than it would ever be between us or other people. Now, the next verse is a verse that uh, is a quote from Isaiah chapter 45. And there in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, it says, that to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. The word swear is like, they are going to, you know, promise to me. That's the swearing, not swearing like using bad words. It's like, no, I'm swearing that I'm going to tell the truth, that kind of swearing. That's where it comes from. Now, normally, we look at Philippians chapter 2, where you're all familiar. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the one we usually quote. And it is a quote, but it's only a couple of words from there. Paul uses that to say, whether you're on your way to heaven or you're on the, your way to the lake of fire, there is ultimately every person, doesn't mean they're all getting saved, but every person is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is exactly who he was and is and always will be. No matter where, no matter where you're going. So, I suggest if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you have not declared Him as your Lord and Savior now, please do it now because even at the great white throne, you're going to have to acknowledge who He was, but you still don't get eternal life. But today, it's not used that way. Because in verse 11, it's used in the context of Christian liberty. And the Apostle Paul tweaks the words just slightly. Verse 11, for it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. Whatever I do in Christian liberty, it should praise God. 
I should be, be able to be thankful afterwards. And others should say, wow, Paul did that. Praise the Lord. You did that. Praise the Lord. Or you didn't do that. Hey, praise the Lord. I do answer ultimately to God. But it also gives others an opportunity to praise the Lord. And every tongue should give praise to the Lord. I should be able to praise Him. So should others. We'll see that again. Verse 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. I don't give an account for you. Did you notice that? Don't even give an account for the garden chapel as the senior pastor. Not in this area. There are things I have to give an account for. If I tell you the truth up here or don't tell you the truth, I need to give account for that. Because you've hired me. You've given me a position. You've made me an elder and a pastor. I, I have to do my job. But in this case, it's an individual. I need to answer to God. So do you. We all need to. The first part of the next chapter actually continues this context. I'm not going to look at it, but I am going to refer to it right now. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, not just to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. My reproach. Will, I like the songs you picked out. One of them actually quoted uh, from Isaiah 45. And a few other things we talked about. All of our sin, all of our, everything was put on Jesus. That's the whole point. And that's not talking about salvation. It's talking about Christian liberty. What is true just trickles down to every part of the Christian life, including this area. Christ went out on a limb for us. He took everything for us. And as a result, we need to look and treat and interact with others in the way that Christ set the example for us and actually carried it out. And then the last part of this for the last few minutes here is we're going to look at that liberty is by faith. I've already mentioned that, but it continues on and even gives us a stronger view. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Notice he keeps coming back. Don't judge anymore, which means they were judging. That's what it said earlier. They were judging each other and he's saying, don't do it. You're causing a rift in the church. But determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. So don't judge, but absolutely make sure that your actions don't bring somebody else down. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it's unclean. This is a true statement. He's saying, if I look at something and I say, I shouldn't do that because it's not pure and it's not what I want to be a part of. He said, that's true for you. You're not going to find that in other areas of of theology in the Bible. Because situational awareness, my own personal convictions come in. Not about salvation Or how do I mature as a Christian? Or what's going to happen after I die? None of those things. Christian liberty. 
And it's always this. And he says, if I look at something and I say, that's unclean, I want, I want nothing to do with that. Then I shouldn't, because to me it's unclean. He doesn't argue with that. He says, it's simply true. It's unclean to you. For if because of your food a brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. I've emphasized that as we went through. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here it says, you know what? If I'm doing something that hurts, damages, stumbles, puts a stumbling block in another person's way, I'm not walking according to love. Because what does love do? Love looks out for the welfare, the good, and the well-being of the other person. Above my own self interests. It's about the other person. It's not about you. It's about what's good for the other person. Of course, I have to answer to God too. He says, you're no longer walking in love. So obviously, when they started judging each other, uh, they weren't walking in love. And when they were doing things that they didn't care what did to somebody else, they weren't walking in love. How do I deal with this? I'm telling you. If you don't have more questions than you started with, I don't like to say this, but if you don't have more questions about your own personal life after listening to these sermons, I don't know if you were listening. Because this says that day by day, moment by moment, thought by thought, action by action, situation by situation, I need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need to live by faith. I want to be able to, at the end of the day, say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to go through that. Thank you, Lord, for not allowing me to do it. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to do that. It doesn't matter. Either way, I need to walk by faith. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Notice, that's just not another brother or sister. That's somebody that Christ died for, paid the ultimate price for. How can I despise them? How can I judge them? Verse 16, therefore, do not let... What is for you a good thing, be spoken of as evil. I need to look around. I need to see, what do my actions do to somebody else? If it causes a bad reputation for Christ, for the church, for me, for Christianity in general, I need to to reevaluate. I need to look at it. These are not easy things. There's no pat answer. I've already, done, I've already gone over the next verse. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, living according to God's standard, peace, harmony, tranquility with others, and joy. I need to be a joyful person. And if what I'm doing makes my life miserable, you better check it. Something isn't quite right. For he who in this way serves Christ, notice this, is acceptable to God and approved by men. If I'm living in Christian liberty the way the Bible describes it, I'm living by faith, I'm living as a thankful, joyful, peaceful, righteous person, God is going to accept it, and other people are going to look at it and say, wow, that guy's a great example. That guy helped me. That guy lifted me up, edified me, built me up. On the other hand, it could go the other way. Verse 19 So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I'll do it real quick. Every time I see the word pursue in the Bible, I get a mental picture. I don't know, you probably have things like that also. My grandfather um, always had beagles. 
chief and prince and king and I don't know. I don't know how many of them he had in my lifetime. But I didn't know the difference between one or the other. But there was one thing that was always true about them. First day of small game season, he would bring them to our farm and he'd turn whichever one it was loose. And that thing would get on a trail of rabbit and he would go through the briars, under the fences, through, the, through everything. Nothing would stop that beagle from trailing that rabbit until he got to the rabbit or the pheasant, whatever he was trailing. Well, guess what? There was no stopping him. That's the whole point. He says, you need to have an unstoppable goal to pursue the things that bring peace and building up one another. It's not about you. It's about helping the other person. It's about living in harmony. It's not for going around looking to see if you can pick a fight. That is just the opposite of Christian liberty. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. He worked in your life. He worked in another person's life. He's working in the church as a whole. Don't tear it down. Indeed, all things are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. <laughs> he says, might be okay, but if you use it incorrectly... It'll be spoken of as evil. Do not do that. It's not good to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything. Notice that. By which your brother stumbles. I have my own convictions. Your job is not to change my convictions. You have your convictions. My job is not to change your convictions. But here's what I know. If I have a conviction that says it's okay with me. But I know that it's going to harm somebody else. I don't change my conviction. I simply change my action toward you in your circumstance. You know from the very beginning I've used the term situational awareness. Absolutely comes down to that over and over again. He ends with this. The faith which you have, has your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, you don't give yourself a spiritual headache because you're you're doing one thing and you know you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Because you're already convicted that's not the right thing for you to do. But you go do it anyway. Or you don't do something that you know you should have done. You're going to get a spiritual headache. You're going to be an internal hypocrite. Because it's just not jiving. He says, don't do that. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. He couldn't ask God to help him. And listen to the last part. And whatever is not from faith is sin. You would think that would be about immorality or lying or stealing or cheating or something along that line. But it's not. It's about Christian liberty. You see, if I cannot ask God to help me do it in a clear conscience, it's sin. No special word for sin here. simply means the same as every other place in the New Testament. It means to miss the mark of the glory of God. That's what it means. And if I am not using my Christian liberty in faith, For the good of other people, in love, all the things we've talked about, God says that's sin. Here's what I know about sin. God judges sin. God blesses obedience, but he judges sin. My job is not to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. My job is to tell you the principles. Before God, you absolutely need your own convictions. 
You need to live by faith. You need to do what's acceptable to God and is also helpful to those around you. That will change. And you will change as you grow, as you mature, as the circumstances change. You will change because the situation changes. That's the way it is. Conclusions. We need to accept each other right where they are right now. We sang that in one of the songs. That's what, that's what God does for us. We need to go out of our way to be a plus in other people's lives. We need to realize that we answer to God for every single thing we do. I know it even goes to the attitudes and motives. And we need to ask God to help us carry out every single thing we do in the Christian life. We are to live by faith, by conviction, but not simply, well, this is what I want to do. This is what makes me feel good. This is what I want to do. No, it's about answering to God. And we really answer to other people because it says if I do something that tears them down, I have a problem. If I do something that builds them up, God is pleased with that. And by the way, so are they. Not an easy subject. But I pray that you would contemplate it and that you would live by faith. And when you're done, you can turn around and thank God for what he has allowed you to do or what he's told you not to do. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, I pray that we would not be the judgmental Christians that you have just shown us. But that we would live in such a way that every part of our life is acceptable and pleasing to God and also accepting, acceptable and pleasing to those that we interact with. Lord, help us to live by faith in every area of life, including Christian liberty. And Lord, we absolutely want to be thankful, grateful, worshiping people. And Lord, I know we cannot do that if we contradict what we know God has convinced us of. Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way as to build up other people and make sure that our life is not lived for ourselves, but that we live for Christ, who we answer to, and we live for the good, the well-being, the building up of other Christians. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us of these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God. Thank you.